Hello everyone and you're very welcome along to the Race News 365.com Formula 1 podcast. My name is Thomas Marr. Joining me is Race News 365 Global Editorial Director Dieter Rankin, who joins me from Bahrain. Where are you talking to me from this evening, Dieter? I'm in my rented apartment in uh, Manama, which is the, the capital of Bahrain, uh, Thomas, about 15, 20 kilometers from the circuit. Um, and it's been a gloriously hot day. We had peaks of 33, 34 degrees. At the moment, it's about 26. It's it's 8.30 odd here, and it's about 26 degrees. We've had a, a pretty unusual day at the at the track today, Dieter, because um, even though Ferrari's Carlos Sainz officially ended the day as fastest man, in the uh, last couple of hours, Kevin Magnussen has shown up his first day back at the, the, the wheel of a Formula 1 car and he set the pace three tenths quicker than signs. Uh, any reason to have some raised eyebrows at that time, Dieter? Not really, Thomas. As I said, uh, you know, during the, the uh, podcast last, last night, um, at the moment, times are basically meaningless. Let's not forget that Kevin would have had the benefit of the slightly lower temperatures, which means a slightly denser air, which means slightly more power. He would also have had a circuit which is better uh, sort of rubbered in because it's had all the rubber from the days running. That is absolutely crucial at a circuit like Bahrain, which has a lot of sand on it. And the more rubber you can get filling the the pores of the tar, uh, the better in terms of grip levels. Um, and then, you know, ultimately what you do have is he had this hours running where the track was absolutely clear. He had literally the entire circuit to himself. And uh, so, you know, there were no distractions. There was nothing. He could just get down and do the job. Of course, I'm very pleased for the circuit. I'm exceptionally pleased for Kevin. But ultimately, you know, should, should I sort of rush off to the bookies and say he'll get pole position next week? I don't think so. Well, he certainly seems to have readjusted to life in Formula 1 very, very quickly after what was a difficult start to the test with those freight issues for Haas, Dieter. Uh, what's the latest on those freight issues? Well, Thomas, you know, what really worries me about the freight issues is that I'm hearing that this is unlikely to be an isolated incident. You know, we had it last year, as I mentioned, in, in um, Miami. Haas got hit by the freight and um, I'm starting to get very, very concerned that we could end up having races, particularly back-to-backs, disrupted by, uh, by freight uh, issues. There just aren't enough aircraft that are currently in airworthy condition to service the world's uh, freight requirements. And when I say freight, the same applies to passengers. You know, I'm, I'm hearing of some horrifying airfare costs. And I'm extremely worried. I spoke to Franz Toss today, and he said it really is dire. He said, and, you know, when they have a back-to-back race, even within Europe, he said, you've got your truckies traveling. Um, he said all it needs is one breakdown, all it needs is one accident, uh, or one major, major traffic jam. And, you know, a, a team was jeopardized. And as we saw with, with Haas, they lost four hours of running yesterday morning. They've been able to claw it back, but it's still not the same. And they've had to do it sort of by running after the session. They've had to do it running during lunchtime. So I believe they'll be running an hour during lunchtime tomorrow. And, you know, it's it's just a disruptive influence. You, you can do without it. We've got mechanics and, and F1 personnel who are already sort of working their fingers to the bone. The last thing they need is to have to work more overtime, break the curfews because of freight and logistics issues. 
And Dieter, there's also the fact that there's still a race that's, you know, pretty much up in the air at the moment because Formula 1 is trying to find a replacement for the Russian Grand Prix in September. What's the latest you're hearing in terms of a possible replacement venue? Well, what I've been hearing, Thomas, is that uh, we would not be going to Turkey. I believe that sort of Turkey's expectation uh, about race hosting fees was sort of 10% of the going rate. Um, and therefore, that one's out. Um, then I'd sort of heard that we'd be looking at possibly Qatar or we'd be looking at the outer circuit Bahrain. I saw Sheikh Mohammed today of the of the royal family here in Bahrain. I said, look, you know, what are the chances? He, he runs the big investment company, which ultimately owns a circuit, has a big slice of McLaren, etc. And I said, Sheikh Mohammed, you know, what, what are the chances of the replacement for Russia happening here in Bahrain, possibly on the outer circuit. And he said, forget it in September. He said, if they want it later in the year, yes, we could do it. He said, but between May and the end of September, the place is virtually uninhabitable, even for the locals. Incredibly hot, incredibly humid. And he said, you know, this humidity stays throughout the evening as well. It's it's not very comfortable. I recall back in about 2008 or 2009, uh, when we had a, a, a almost a back-to-back with Singapore and Japan, I decided rather than go back to Europe, I'd come and spend a week in Dubai. And this was sort of middle of September, and it was unbearably hot. So I think it's unlikely the race will take place in uh, Qatar. I think it's unlikely it will take place in Bahrain or any other Middle Eastern venue. So I believe that Formula 1 will have to look further afield. You know, the race before that is Monza. Possibly they can slot some other uh, European venue in, possibly Portimao, one of those. But I doubt whether it's going to be the Middle East. Is there a lead candidate at the moment? Um, well, if you ask me, I would say Portimao. But again, I, I, I'm hearing that they sort of are offering almost zero hosting fees. And of course, you know, the Russian Grand Prix was one of the top payers. Um, according to my records, they were paying upwards of $55 million for the race. You know, if somebody comes and offers, let's say, $7 million, which I believe is what uh, uh, Turkey was sort of hopeful of, of paying, then, you know, there's $48 million that have disappeared. And, you know, that ultimately is money that goes into the prize fund. And um, the teams would then lose out. I mean, Formula One's responsibility is to put together a calendar manage the championship profitably to ensure that the team stay in business. That, very simply put, is the mission statement for Formula One. And, you know, if they start coming along with bargain basement races at 7 million or 10 million, the teams will go out of business. You know, they've got incredibly, incredibly heavy overheads. They're employing five, 600 people at least during these periods of, even during these periods of budget caps. And, you know, that that's, takes an awful lot of cash flow to keep that business running. Well, you've had a couple of uh, very insightful chats with people today, Dieter. Who else did you manage to, to get a word in with today? Oh, t- today was very, very productive. I thoroughly enjoyed the day. I, I was fortunate enough to spend about 40 minutes with Adrian Newey talking about his career, talking about the 2022 regulations, talking about his his uh, work with other drivers and, of course, including Max. Some very incisive comments from Adrian. I mean, let's, let's be honest. He is probably the best uh, designer that there is, certainly the most successful designer that there is in the paddock at the moment. Um, he's old enough to remember the days when there was porpoising in Formula 1 and young enough to be able to still design race-winning cars. 
and it really was a, a, a privilege, a treat to talk to him today. And I'm really looking forward to processing the interview and getting it out to our readers. I then spoke to, to Franz Tost, as I said. Uh, I spoke to Jody Eggington, who's the technical director for um, for AlphaTauri. And, you know, Jody was basically saying he was not surprised that there were so many different solutions to the new regulations. He said, because I know what we started off with and I know what we've ended up with. And he said, I can assure you that what we started off with and what we have now is chalk and cheese. And he said, so everybody would have gone some down some other development route and try to optimize it. The other thing that, that Adrian said to me, and he wouldn't he wouldn't commit to talking about the um, the Mercedes side pods in particular, but what he did say was that for every solution, there is always a compromise somewhere, and you have to work out which is the least compromising solution for the performance of your particular design of car. So, you know, who, who knows? The Mercedes side pod design may work exceptionally well on that Mercedes, in conjunction with all the other trick bits it's got. But you couldn't just sort of transfer that onto the Red Bull. Equally, you couldn't take some of the Red Bull's trickier bits and just transfer them across the Mercedes. Everything has got to work together. At the same time, it's got to give the least sort of compromise. Well, that's actually one of the battles, aside from the drivers, that I'm, I'm most looking forward to this season, Dieter, and that is uh, the battle between Mercedes' James Allison and Red Bull's Adrian Newey, because the two cars, we saw them on track this afternoon with the soft C4 tyres, and it looked as though the Red Bull had a slight advantage on the Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton's body language is very interesting, I think, at this point. The Mercedes simply doesn't look all that happy on the track. What, what do you think from watching the W13 out on track? Does it look a particularly stable car? Um, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But ultimately, Thomas, I think what we should remember is that it wasn't that long ago that Mercedes had what they called the Diva, which is a pretty tricky car, yet it sort of still continued to win races and then the championships. So, you know, ultimately, it's early days. I mean, the cars have in real terms had two days worth of running, 16 hours or thereabouts of running. And that's it because, you know, the, the, the Barcelona test was basically a glorified extended shakedown. The real testing started yesterday. Today's the second day. Tomorrow's the third day of testing. And, and frankly, all it may need is just one little item to unlock the performance. Um, it's possible that the car is actually at the peak of its development. I doubt it, but it's a possibility. We, we shouldn't exclude that. But ultimately, I think there are a lot of very, very clever people at Mercedes. And, you know, I, I think it would be premature to judge them after eight hours of or 16 hours worth of, of hot running. Well, after a particularly strong test in Barcelona, one team who've been conspicuously absent from the top at this test, Dieter, is McLaren. They really are having a troubled few days, aren't they? And combined with uh, the illness for Daniel Ricciardo, which we're not getting a, a huge amount of details about. Uh, yes, Thomas. Look, what we do know is that they changed from the Japanese uh, manufacturer, brake manufacturer, Aki Bono, last year. They changed across to AP, which is a Brembo product. Uh, believe it or not, Brembo owns uh, AP. Um, McLaren are one of two teams using the AP brakes rather than the Brembo brakes. Uh, the other eight are using the, the full Brembo system. However, I spoke to a team source and he, he assured me that the problem was not um, an AP issue. And in fact, he went as far as to say it would be ho wholly unfair to blame AP. 
Uh, and he said that basically we're just looking for a solution that it's it's actually a, a team technical matter and that they're working very hard on it. Um, equally, I feel very, very sorry for, for Lando Norris, of course, because he's bearing the brunt of the testing. Uh, but I believe that um, Danny Ricardo has tested positive for COVID. And of course, that means that he's probably going to be out of action for the next couple of days. Uh, certainly, I don't think we'll see him running on Saturday. Is there a risk Daniel might actually miss the season opener in Bahrain at this point? I don't think so, Thomas, because, um, you know, if you look at it, um, the normal recovery period for COVID is about five days. And then you've got to have, I think, 24 or 48 hours worth of um, of uh, negativity, so to speak. And I think he should make it if he recovers fast enough. Well, they've lost a, a huge amount of time over the last two days with only one day left of uh, testing. Are you expecting any surprises to emerge on track tomorrow? Might we see some performance runs tomorrow, Dieter? I think we're going to see what we call glory runs. Yes, absolutely. Ultimately, these are our race drivers. They're all alpha males. They want to go out there. They want to strut their stuff. They want to really turn it up to the 11s and they want to let rip. And uh, basically tomorrow is their final chance of doing so before the, the race starts next week. Dieter Rankin, Editorial Director of the Racing News 365 Group. Thank you very much, as always, for joining me. And you can follow Dieter on Twitter at Racing Lines. I'm Thomas Marr. You can follow me on Twitter at Thomas Marr on F1. That's it for today. We'll be back for another Flash podcast after Saturday's day of testing in Bahrain, the final day of pre-season testing. All the best. Talk to you on Saturday. <laughs>